Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. That's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. We're going to switch things up a little bit and start off first by talking about a group of records that are critical to your family history, U.S. Federal Census Records. Then, in our second segment, we're going to delve into the history of the census by going straight to the source. Bill Morey, Chief of History Staff at the U.S. Census Bureau. In my interview with him, I'll be talking to him about a new census history website that they launched in 2008. People who look back at the economic censuses were able to find out, and you have to go back to the rolls, but to find out, uh, you know, maybe uh, Uncle Joe or something like that, or distant great-great-great-grandfather Joe was a farmer or was a blacksmith or something like that, you can find out a bit about it. One of the things they might be really interested in are facsimiles of the um, various schedules. And so you can go through those and find out what the schedules look like, the kinds of questions that were asked, and things of that nature. We are going to be adding all the time. I mean, one of the things that we realize as we're getting into this, that this is, that, you know, we knew it already because that's what we are as historians, but it's a huge uh, activity, and we're going to be expanding it and putting new things on all the time. childhood story of Hansel and Gretel and how they left a breadcrumb trail to find their way back out of the forest? Well, the U.S. government created a sort of breadcrumb trail that includes following your ancestors as well, and it's called the Federal Census. And you can follow that census trail from 1930 all the way back to 1790. So let's talk about just how to do that. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the Constitution requires that census be a population count taken every 10 years. Well, since the first census back in 1790, the need for useful information about the United States population and the economy became more and more apparent. And thankfully for us, that means that as the years went on, more and more information was collected about our ancestors and their families. The most current census available for searching is the 1930 census, and that's because there's a rule in place meant to protect the privacy of citizens. Now, since 72 years old is considered an average life expectancy, the census can only be released after that amount of time has passed since it was taken. So the 1930 census was released to the public in 2002, and it will remain the most current available census until April of 2012 when the 1940 census will become public. But the 1930 census is great because chances are you'll be able to find either your parents or your grandparents in it. And that gives you the starting place to follow your census breadcrumb trail back in time. Now you can find the complete 1930 census index and scanned images of the original documents at Ancestry.com. It's part of the U.S. record subscription, and we talked about Ancestry a couple of episodes ago. 
Well, I checked World Battle Records also today, and they do have some records, but they don't appear to have the entire 1930 census, at least at the time that I'm recording this episode. The 1930 census is also available from the National Archives on microfilm at the National Archives building in Washington, D.C., and at any of their 13 regional archives. I'll have a link to their webpage that walks you through the process of locating the microfilm rolls that you'll need, as well as links to the 13 regional archives. Now, of course, it's very likely that you don't live in close proximity to one of the regional archives, or you're much more inclined to want to research the 1930 census from the comfort of your own home and be able to view and print the original records. Well, that's the case with me, and I use the Ancestry 1930 census, and it's a breeze to work with. And the time you save using the online subscription should more than justify the expense. As I've said before, you'll save driving time, gas money, copying costs, and you won't be restricted to very limited uh, operation hours. But the number one reason I search the census online is that it's 10 times faster than locating and scrolling through rolls and rolls of microfilm. Okay, okay, I, I think I've made my case for investing in doing this research online. It's really a great way to go. So let's say that you have your Ancestry subscription. Let's talk about how to find and use the 1930 census in Ancestry. Well, you sign in and go to the homepage and scroll down until you see the Browse Our Collections area where you'll find the U.S. Census Collection, and you can just click on 1930. Or you can check the Quick Links box and select U.S. Census. Uh, the homepage will change depending on how you've used Ancestry up to this point. So it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. And finally, you can always click on the Search tab and select the Historical Records Search tab, and then click Advanced Search. And if you use this method, you'll have to specify that you want to search just the census and not other types of records. And now you'll find yourself on the 1930 census search page. So go to your family tree and find the youngest person that you have in the tree that was alive in 1930. Is that one of your parents or maybe your grandparents? Uh, I'm going to pick my great-grandpa, Charles Allen Burkett. He was born in 1880, and he would have been married to Ellen and living in California in 1930. Now, I hope that you'll follow along with me as I go through this search so that you can really see the process for yourself. So let's enter his first name, Charles, and his last name, Burkett, B-U-R-K-E-T-T. And I know he was living in California at the time, so in the state field, I'm going to select California. And just in case there is more than one Charles Burkett in California in 1930, I am going to enter his birth year, which was 1880. Now, you might be wondering why I'm not just filling in all the search fields. Well, the key to genealogy search is to enter just enough to find what you're looking for. You see, every piece of information that you enter has to be found in the record in order for it to be returned to you as a search result, at least at the top of the results list. And, of course, some things may not have been included uh, in the transcription of the census, and you have to remember that even census takers occasionally made mistakes. So while I may know his father's name, uh, they may have misspelled it. Or he may have been living with an uncle. So he'd be listed as a nephew and not the head of the household. It's just better off to start with the minimum amount of information and then add the best facts that you can until you find the right person. 
Now, date of birth is a great way to hone in on the right person, but again, it's very likely that his age may not be totally accurate if someone else in the household was giving the information to the census taker. Or you might not be sure of the exact year. So feel free to use the plus or minus sign field to give yourself some leeway. And finally, the more common the name, chances are the more specific information you'll have to provide in order to keep the results you get to a reasonable amount. The more unique the name, the less you need because there will be fewer matches to the same name. So you have the first and last name, state of residence, and the birth year. And we just click the orange search button at the bottom of the search box. Now, we get back a lot of results, and none of them really stand out to me as my great-grandpa. So we click on Refine Your Search at the top of the list and make some adjustments. Be sure and click on Show Advanced Search Options. So I know for sure that he was born in Indiana, and so we'll add that as his birthplace. And I've heard stories in the family that the surname Burkett may not have always been spelled the way it is today. Um, so we'll change that to the last name being B-U-R asterisk. And that asterisk will act as a wild card and give us back results for any last name within our search criteria that starts with B-U-R. So let's try that. A broader search on the last name and a more narrow search on the birthplace and see what we get. And there he is, the third search result in the list. And they've spelled his name B-U-R-K-E-T-T-E. And that goes along with the old family story that his son, my grandpa, used to tell me when he was younger. He spelled Burkett with an E-T-T-E, and the kids would always tease them Burketty Spaghetti. So he changed it later and dropped the E. And his wife's name is Ellen, so I definitely know I have the right guy. So you have two options here. On the left, you can click the link that says View Record, and on the right, you can click to the View the Image. So let's go straight to View the Image and see what the census looks like. Just click the magnifying glass icon. might take a few minutes to load, and there you have the original handwritten census record right in front of you. You'll notice that when you hover over it with a mouse pointer, uh, it turns into kind of like a hand, which means that you can actually click and grab the page to move it around. Or you can scroll down, and sure enough, when we do scroll down, we find Charles A. and Ellen Burkett on the last two lines of this page. You can click the magnifying glass to enlarge it so it's easier to read. And as you can see, there's a ton of great information here. In the very first column, many census takers made note of the street that they were on. Now remember, the census takers, they're also known as enumerators, were literally walking door to door and talking to a family member, most likely maybe the mother or wife who was home during the day, and asking the questions and writing down the answers. So we have to bear in mind that the data is as good as the memory, or dare I say honesty, of the person being interviewed, and the accuracy and really the handwriting skills of the enumerator. And real quick, let's meet the enumerator. Scroll back up to the top of the page on the right-hand side, and here you'll see the enumerator has written his name. And this one is Carol Brock. And the date that he completed this page was April 11th, 1930. And that's an important date because it means that the ages given are as of that month in 1930. 
Okay, so let's head back down to the briquettes, and we can see in that first box they live on a street called South American. And by looking again at the top of the page, we'll see that they are in the city of Stockton in the county of San Joaquin in California. Now, the next column gives you the actual house number. So now you have their street address, and you could look up the exact house on a map. Pretty cool. The next column is where the enumerator keeps track of the number of houses that he's visited. And then we get to the main event, the names of the folks living in our ancestors' household. And as you'll notice, Charles and Ellen are the last entries on this page. Now, that's a big red flag that we need to look at the next page because it's very possible that there are more people living there. So let's take a quick look by clicking the Next Page button at the top, and sure enough, there are more relatives to be found. Their daughters, Vivian and Margaret, and their married daughter, Eleanor Schultz, and their, her son, their grandson, Bert. Now, the way you know for sure that they will be all living in that household is by looking at that column where the enumerator keeps track of the houses he's visited. If there isn't a new number listed, we are still in the same Burkett household. You'll notice the next person listed after Bert is Oscar Anderson, and there is a new number in that column. So it's a completely different household. So don't be fooled that by a different last name, meaning that they're in a different house. And, of course, the other clue was that Bert was listed as a grandson rather than a son. So because the numerator is recording his relationship to the head of the house, and the head of the house is Charles Burkett, he is listed as a grandson. Okay, let's head back to the first page. You'll see that Charles is listed as the head, and there's an O in the next column indicating that he owns the house rather than rents it. And the next column shows the house is worth $3,200. Now, real quick, look above to the house before it. They are renting for just $5 a month. <laughs> wow. The next column is kind of fun. Uh, 1930 was the first census where the government asked the question, do you own a radio? The government was beginning to realize that citizens could be reached quickly on a mass scale with the radio. And indeed, the Burkett family was enjoying programs like Rudy Valley's Hi-Ho Club because they had a radio set. The next column asked if they live on a farm, and in the case of the families on South American Street, the answer was no. But the government wanted to keep an eye on the migration of farmers to the cities, so they did ask that question. The columns move right along after that. We have the person's sex, race, age, which you can use to calculate their approximate birth year, marriage status, and the age that they were at when they were first married. So again, you can use that, that age to calculate the approximate year that they were married. Since Ellen was 50 years old at the time of the 1930 census, that means that she was born in 1880, and she married at the age of 22. So we add 22 years to 1880, and we can figure out that she was married in 1902. So there's a date that we can enter into our database. Then they were asked if they attended school or college at any time since September of 1929 and whether they were able to read or write. Then there's their place of birth, and their parents' place of birth, which is very helpful, and their native language. And this will probably be filled in only if it's other than English. And then the next column is terrific. If your relatives were immigrants to America, they are asked what year they immigrated, whether they were naturalized citizens, and if they could speak English. That year of immigration will be invaluable in finding passenger list records later on. 
But in the case of uh, my briquettes, though, they were born and raised in the U.S., so there's nothing listed there. Next comes questions about their occupation. Charles states that he's a train conductor with a steam railroad, so there's a possibility of some railroad records to look for. And the next column asks whether they actually worked yesterday or whatever the last regular working day was, trying to determine if they were currently employed or not. And then finally, they are asked about military service, which gives us a great lead on whether to be looking for particular military records. And in this case, Charles indicates, no, he's not a veteran. So there you have a lot of information, about six people from one family. So we head to our database and we enter each piece of information for each person citing that the source was the 1930 U.S. Federal Census for Stockton, San Joaquin County, California. And we'll also want to make note of the page number, uh, the line numbers that the folks appeared on, and we'll save a copy of this digital image to our hard drive. I used to print them out, but as long as you back up your hard drive, there really isn't a need to print them out unless you want to have it on paper. Now, before we run off from this record, we need to stop and remember that this family was not an island. They lived on a street, in a neighborhood, and they probably knew everyone listed on these two pages. For all we know, there are possible relatives living nearby, maybe a future spouse of one of their daughters. So take some time and look through the neighbors. You'd be amazed how many times another ancestor will be staring you right in the face that you overlooked the first time through. And not only will you find relatives and future relatives, you have another clue here to pursue. Remember what Charles's occupation was? He worked for the railroad. Now, chances are some of his co-workers are in the neighborhood, too. And at first glance, I spotted at least five of them. David Whitehead, a locomotive engineer. James Chapman, William Griffin, and Orion Alexander are all brakemen. And Fred Kirk is a switchman. So right there, you now know more relationships even beyond the family. And you'll want to make note of these names for when you delve into railroad records later on. They might pop up again. Now take another look at the first page with Charles and Ellen at the bottom. Do you notice anything that stands out about their nearby neighbors? Recognize the name William E. Schultz? In the Burkett household, daughter Eleanor Schultz is listed as married, at age 16 no less, with her five-year-old son. But there's no husband. So seeing this William Schultz living close by is very interesting. And he's there by himself. He's a lodger in the house next door. So he's well worth looking into as a possible estranged husband or maybe a brother-in-law. So as you can see, there's a lot to the census. You can take it at face value, or you can interpret and analyze what you see to draw additional inf- conclusions and theories. And to me, that's one of the really fun things about doing family history research. Now you have a good feel for the kind of information you're going to find in the census, and yet we're just getting started. Next week, we're going to follow the trail further back in time. This week, though, would be a great time to start a free trial subscription and try to locate a 1930 census record for someone in your family. Now, we're going to take a short break before we head into our conversation with Bill Morey at the U.S. Census Bureau to learn more about the history of the U.S. Census. This is Lisa Louise Cook, and you are listening to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. We're back, and I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. 
The census is such an important tool for the family historian that it's worth learning the history of it, when and why it started, and how it evolved over the years. Well, in March of 2008, the U.S. Census Bureau launched a brand new website within the existing U.S. Census Bureau website that gives you the backstory on the census, which you can find at census.gov slash history. Since the launch, they have added a lot of fascinating information. And in this interview with Bill Morey, Chief of History Staff, we're going to learn more about the website, the kinds of information that you can find there, and how it can help us learn more about our ancestors. Well, the U.S. Census Bureau recently announced that it will be launching a new Internet website dedicated to the history of census taking in the United States. So I have invited Bill Morey, who is the Chief of History Staff at the U.S. Census Bureau, to kind of give us a sneak peek at this really great new resource. I was hoping we could just start by having you give us an overview of what we will find at this new history website. Basically what we hope is that we'll be able to find just about everything to do with the history of the Census and the Census Bureau. This is a very uh, wide-ranging website, and uh, rather than go into great detail uh, and say what is in it, I'd probably better just say, uh, rather than spend the whole day doing it, there's, there's, we missed, we try to miss almost nothing. So that's basically what we're looking at. We're trying to do all aspects of it, both the decennial census or the history of or the, uh, the census of population and housing, as well as the economic census and all the various surveys. Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm curious, what prompted the creation of this new website? Well, uh, the, the Census Bureau gets literally thousands of uh, historical calls of all sorts uh, about the history of the Census Bureau and the history of the census. So uh, after a while with the uh, centennial celebration in 2002 and then various other things, uh, the history staff and MSO, which it no longer exists as a separate division, put out, decided to come up with uh, some format, and we ended up with this format, which is this web page, website. Terrific. And so this is going to take us all the way back to the beginning to 1790, right? Correct. Yes. Great. Now, I know that um, in the little blurb that I read that it mentioned that um, there was the the economic census as well as Mm -hmm. the decennial census. Tell us a little bit about what is the economic census. Well, the economic census was actually a part of the decennial census since about 1810, on and off throughout the 19th century, and it became more and more a permanent feature of it. Uh, it actually became a permanent feature of the census as a whole, a separate census, in 1905. So it collects information on manufacturing, mining, businesses in general, and uh, now it's more and more related to uh, the whole North American uh uh, sector, so it gets. We have a. It's it's involved with all aspects of a, of businesses in America, in, in short order. It it comes out every five years on years beginning uh, ending with a two or a seven. Okay. And uh, it's uh, got the same reports and things of that nature. It's not obviously as large as the decennial census, but it is very big. In fact, it was the first one to deal with a mail out mail back system that we now use all the time. So this, for the family historian, is perhaps going to be uh, an interesting look at the overall um, society that our ancestors may have been living in and how you, as a bureau, went about finding out what was going on in America. 
That's true. In addition to that, people who look back at the economic censuses were able to find out, and you have to go back to the rolls, but find out, uh, you know, maybe uh, Uncle Joe or something like that, or distant great-great-great-grandfather Joe was a farmer or was a blacksmith or something like that. You can find out a bit about him that way. So, you know, it depends on how thorough genealogical people are uh, and want to go, uh, the, the uh, economic census could be of value to them. Oh, well, I guarantee. I know that a lot of our listeners are um, very interesting in, in uh, going well, as far as they is, can. So. <laughs> now, um, I know also in the press release it mentioned something about a different, different types of historic documents that visitors might find in that decade-by-decade historical facts browse feature. Maybe you could tell uh-huh. us a little bit about that and what we might be finding there. Well, they can find a number of things. There's a, sort of an outline of the decade, but one of the things they might be really interested in are facsimiles of the um, various schedules. And so you can go through those and find out what the schedules look like, the kinds of questions that were asked, and things of that nature. In addition, there is some minor, um, well, not really substantial uh, genealogical information Uh this mentioning what schedules have been, have been lost to, to fire or some sort of other damage, what schedules are available, and things of that nature. Okay, So it's, it's a sort of a, a grab bag of information about the census and about the decades and changes within the census and things of that nature. Now, I know in uh, my husband's case, his great-grandfather was actually the enumerator in his town. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, and we saw his name on there. Will we learn anything about... Who were the thousands of people who went door to door and any old photographs or things about that element of the history? Well, it depends. Uh, there are some of these, some enumerators uh, have written uh, stories or uh, sort of uh, brief little diaries about the, their activities as enumerators. You know, like I was chased by a dog or I got yeah. uh, huge blisters or one thing or another. And, you know, they really went through, <laughs> I mean, it would make a great movie. They went through some <laughs> tremendously exciting things like having to, complete their enumeration within a given period of time when there was a horrible flood or something like that, or a huge snowstorm. So all of these things came into play, and as a, you know, as a specific discipline, finding what all the enumerators did, is, it, that's almost impossible, or even to get their names. But individual members, yes, you can find some of that information. We don't have it. You'd have to go to, sent to the archives. Most of the information about the census and about the individual people is at the archives. We don't maintain it here. Will this be a stagnant website of just, you know, you've got your information, you're putting it up there? Will you be regularly adding new oh, information? no, we are going to be adding all the time. I mean, one of the things that we realize as we're getting into this, that this is, that, you know, we knew it already because that's what we are as historians, but it's a huge uh, activity, and we're going to be expanding it and putting new things on all the time. We probably will at some point sort of phase some things out, but most of the stuff is just going to stay on there forever. And in addition, we will have such things as a document of the month or a place for people to have comments, and we're going to have sights and sounds of the various decades and things of that nature. So we're constantly going to be changing it and updating it, and there will be something new at least every six weeks or so. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, that's terrific. I mean, you're right. You guys are such a, a hub of really the history of America and, you know, place by place, house by house, store by store. Right. Well, is there anything else that kind of stands out to you? You've had a chance to to, uh, 
look at it and work with it and develop it. Anything else that we might keep our eyes out for? It's going to be a comprehensive site. What should we be looking for initially when we get on there and go run and take a look at this particular thing? Anything that stands out to you? Well, anything that you want. We're trying to make it so it's very user-friendly. We've been... uh, we are not, as a rule, a sort of uh, uh, internet uh, uh, literate. Although we do have an intern who's 22 years old, and he seems to be <laughs> catching, he's catching on real, real, real quick and doing a terrific job. Sure. But I think what, what what we hope to do is make it so that a person has a question, we would intend to put in a search engine within it. We haven't gotten that yet, but we're going to put a search engine in into the overall historical website. So those various factors will be in there. But one of the things that you mentioned, and I think it's very true, is that almost every aspect of American history is dealt with by the Census Bureau at some point. Yes. So you can find all kinds of things, not just people who are interested in genealogy. And we want to make it so that the history will go out to uh, the census in the schools programs to be also to be used by, by uh, uh, undergraduate and graduate students in universities and even professors who are doing research. So we want to make it as broad-based as possible, and actually all the way down from like the third grade up to, you know, uh, postdoctoral people. So that's what we're looking at with it. Well, I mean, an awful lot of needs that way. Yeah. Now, will we there hope. will there be any type of a, a blog, or how will people kind of get the updates on what might be new and up and coming at that site? Basically, we will have, you know, to be, you know, soon soon appearing or something like that, sort mm-hmm. of like coming attractions. But we will also have a comment box where somebody will be able to drop lines and they'll be responded to by us. Depending on if, you know, if there are a gazillion of them, obviously <laughs> we won't be able to respond to all of them. But if there are a gazillion of them, they will have a pattern enough that we can respond to the pattern. But that's what we're hoping to do is have a, have a comment box. And that's something that we expect to start within the first or second update. The updates are, are sort of unevenly scheduled for the first in about six weeks and then about two months after that and on a regular two-month basis after that. It's been a long time in coming, but uh, and we've done a lot of research and a lot of people have given us a tremendous amount of help. Wow. So uh, that brings up a question. How long has this been in the works? How long have you been planning on this? You've been... Well, uh, the from the very origins of it, it goes back to about, uh, at, at least to the time of the, descent, of the um, centennial celebration of the Census Bureau in 2002, when it became a separate agency. Right. And uh, so, and it's been going, it, it's had some fits and starts, and it was going very uh, hardcore there for about two years, from about 2005 to 2000, well, 2005, 2006, and then it, it dropped off the table and came back to life uh, about a year ago, and we've been working very diligently on it since, and we're really fortunate particularly to have this one particular intern who's given us a great deal of help. Well, wonderful. Well, I can tell you that, that the folks out there listening to this show are going to be incredibly enthusiastic and anxious great. to see what you guys are doing. I mean, I just think this is really a wonderful and exciting peek into the world of the Census Bureau, and, and there's so much history there for you guys to offer. How wonderful that you're making it available. Well, we're really excited about it, I can promise you. Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. It just sounds like a terrific project, and I hope that you feel encouraged because I can tell you the the world of genealogists out there are going to be really excited about this. Great. Well, thank you very much for your call. Bill and his team have made a few additions to the site since we recorded that interview. 
Of primary interest to us is the new tips for genealogists section that provides some helpful hints for those just getting started in genealogy, as well as for those who require census data for personal and business reasons. And they have added lots of pictures and maps and have updated their Through the Decades section to make it much easier to search. And they've added a census questionnaire as well as an index of all the questions that were asked on the U.S. Census. The Census Bureau is in the process of adding links to several repositories that are free to the general public. If you can't find what you're looking for on the website, you can contact them directly through their email address listed on the site under the contact box on the right side of the front page. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. Or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021, and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>